Dar and Greg asked us to apologize for their not being here, and they were planning to come. But as everyone probably knows, they were had a terrible time in the recent flood, and are still involved in um, cleaning out their house, so they couldn't come. I want to begin by reading a few paragraphs from a talk that Master Kripal Singh gave many years ago in uh, January 1964, a talk at which Judith and I were both present. It was one of the last talks of his second world tour. He says, we are all children of God. God is all light, and we are also light, being children of light. But our light is enveloped by so many coverings, and we are so identified with the coverings that we have forgotten ourselves. The cause of this identification is that the attention which is the expression of our soul, is, through the outgoing faculties, diffused to the outside world. We have, as a human being, this human body, a very wonderful house in which we live. It is considered to be the highest in all creation. All masters spoke very highly of it. They said that it is next to God. We are divine in nature. We are spirit in man. As spirit is eternal, we are also eternal. Why do we fear that we will die? But this greatness of our own, which is innate in us, we have forgotten. So all masters say, realize the godhood which already exists in you. You are not to put in anything from outside. When a master meets you, he does not put in anything from outside within you. Our attention, which is the expression of soul, is diffused in the world. He simply helps us to withdraw our attention from outside and come to its source, which is our own soul at the back of the eyes, where our soul is withdrawn from the body and goes at the time of death. If we can do that, we realize that we are no other than God. When the masters come, they say, we are in a very pitiable state. We are living in a house in which so many outgoing faculties are working. They were meant to serve us, but unfortunately, instead of serving us, they have control over us. They are dragging us like anything. If we know how to withdraw, that is liberate, ourselves from the outgoing faculties, 
there is some hope. But our soul is under the control of mind. The soul and the mind have become one. Combined, they are called jiva. Soul is eternal, as I told you before, being of one substance only, consciousness. But coming in contact with mind, it became the doer. Both combined are dragged to outside things through the outgoing faculties. We have become so identified with them that we have no idea of our own selves left. We are souls, not mind also. Take the example of water. It is made up of two gases, oxygen and hydrogen. Oxygen, you know, is life-giving. When a man is dangerously sick, he is given a cylinder of oxygen. And hydrogen gas chokes our throat. Two different things, when combined together, form water, the quality of which is different from the two. Similarly, we are eternal spirit in man. Combined with mind, we have become the doers. And whatever we sow, so shall we reap. So masters say, be still. What did they mean? Physically and intellectually still. Then we will know that none other than God is within us. I wanted to begin with that, although I realized that the substance of Master's words there may well be very familiar to many of us. Because um, I think, after all, the purpose of a retreat is to remember. Master Kripal has said in The Wheel of Life that the masters give a very simple definition of sin as forgetting of origin, okay? Godhead. We forget what we are, therefore we make mistakes. We do not act in accordance with that which we actually are because we have forgotten what that is. This is what he is talking about in this section, of course. Later on in this uh, really quite wonderful talk, he uh, talks a great deal about what is in store for us if we remember. But before we can have that, of course, we have to be aware that we have forgotten. And this is so basic, and yet the whole point of the shifting of the angle of vision, which is at the core of the Sermon on the Mount and the Eightfold Path of the Buddha and all of the great esoteric scriptures of the world, um, 
the shifting of the angle of vision depends on our remembering that we have forgotten. And if we can reverse the course of our forgetfulness and remember, then uh, everything else becomes possible from that. And this is, there's a, is an element of of um, of remembering, but there's also an element of recognition. We recognize that which we really are, but it's also a question of recognizing what the master is. And here too, um, it's very easy to um, fall into illusion and to forget, even if we know to forget to a great extent what the master really is. Um, you know, in the beginning of the Gospel of John in the New Testament, it's a tremendous, tremendously beautiful section that uh, the masters have quoted many times. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Everything that was made was made by that word. And that was within everyone. And then he says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is really what the Master is saying in the section that we read too. It's another way of saying the same thing. We are basically, in essence, what we are. That which counts in us is the word. Okay, also called Nam, Shabda, many other names too. The power of God, the creative power of God, which is what gives life to the universe and it gives life to every individual within the universe. And that power of God called the Word is what we basically are. If we read the first chapter of John carefully, we'll see that this is so. This is what is being said there. And yet the word, that same word, is made flesh. So how is it different from us? The point is that when the word is what we call being made flesh so that we can see its glory, okay, and we can see that, yes, the word is the only begotten Son, so when it becomes flesh, which it does continuously, one body after another, um, we see in that body the glory that is that that belongs to the word which is the only begotten son and the difference when the word is made flesh in that way there is no question of forgetting the word knows its full glory of itself and it moves and acts and lives 
as a free being in accordance with the the destiny and the greatness of the word now that the masters are very clear this is also our destiny if we want to take it what a man has done a man can do master kripal used to say every saint has a past every sinner a future it is not that the master is different in any qualitative way what he is we are master says um, that I have developed in this way and you have not that's the only difference but you can do it he says this is also for you to do too if we can recognize the glory that is his within our own self then we can understand even better what he is when we see him outside the two are intimately connected the recognition of the master outside is bound up with the recognition of the master within us the two are intimately connected because the master is both within us and without us. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said to the Pharisees, or a particular Pharisee, the kingdom of God is within you. But he also said, the kingdom of God is among you. Why? Because the word that he used means exactly the same. It's in Greek it means both at once and um, it is used some people take it to mean one or the other but uh, in the Gospel of Thomas is very clearly stated Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you and outside you it is within you and among you he is very explicit there and how is that? Because it is present within us and also in the person of the living master, the word made flesh, who has come into this universe for the sole purpose of taking us home. He has no other reason to be here. He is not working off any karma. He is not fulfilling some desire that is uh, been going for life after life is not here for any reason like that but he is here simply because he loves Sanchi says he came down to love that is why he is here he is here only for that reason that in itself is part of the glory of the only begotten of the Father because that word is indeed love personified Master says if we go far enough within to our own self we do see that that which is there is love that love is innate in our own self we have to go far enough but it's there all the same and in the in the person of the living master 
when we see the master in front of us, we see that same love which is innate in our own self. We see it in front of us the way that it could be in us if we were living up to that which we were born to be. So the beauty of the living master is that he is really a mirror. Right? He is a mirror of our of the inmost part of our own soul that we can't see yet. But when he is in front of us, we can see it. And um, this, he is here to help us to recognize that which is both in him and in us and to remember that that which is in him is in us, but also that we are that. It may be hard for water. You know, water is, after all, combi the combination of the hydrogen and the oxygen. But from the point of view of the oxygen, it might be important to not assume that it's really water. The Master is saying here, this is what we think that we are the soul plus mind, the jiva, okay, the doer. We think that we are that. We are not that. We are actually only part of that, the soul. When the mind is added, it distorts the picture so much so that um, we do not understand what our real capacity is what we were born to do, what our purpose on earth is, or what our possibilities are. Those things are all hidden from us as long as we assume that we are the jiva and not the atman, or the actual spirit. So this is what the master comes to do for us. You know, to say that he comes to teach us anything is probably not really correct. Master Sawansing used to say, spirituality cannot be taught, cannot be bought, it can only be caught like an infection from one person to another. Someone who has it, we can catch it from that person. So it's like, in this sense, the master is walking among us like someone who is infected. And he's trying to infect as many people as he can just by being there. And he does, you know, it really works like that. People who, who come to the master sometimes with no background at all, as far as we know, nothing in this lifetime, no preparation, no having read a great many books or anything like that, see him, love him, understand from him that this is um, what they have been born to do, even if they can't define it or articulate it yet. I remember in 1977, when Sanchi's first trip here in May, he was, uh, he asked me to do screening for the initiation that was 
the first one that was being held. And there were a lot of people. And uh, I was going over the applications and talking to the people. And there was a girl uh, who handed me, she was a girl then, she's a, a woman now and has been for a long time, but she was quite young at this time, maybe 17, something like that. And she um, came in with her application and I saw that it said uh, she had been on the vegetarian diet in about 12 days. And I said, well, how, well this isn't long enough. You can't, you can't be initiated after, after 12 days only on the diet. She said, look, whether, whether I'm initiated or not is in his hands. But this is why this is like that. She said, I live on Martha's Vineyard, which is an island off the coast of Massachusetts, where there have, satsangis have lived for a long time. By the way, there's been a, a satsang there for many years. I live on Martha's Vineyard. I was walking on the vineyard one day and a car pulled up beside me and a friend of mine said, I'm going up to Boston to see a saint. He's coming in at the airport. Do you want to come along and see him? And she, the idea appealed to her. She got in the car. They drove across the ferry to the mainland up to the airport. And then she said, when he came off the plane, he came into the airport and I saw him, I realized that this was what I was born to do. And since then, I have done everything he has said. I have been a vegetarian since then, but before that, I didn't know. So whether I'm initiated or not, it's not up to me, but I want it. So I talked to Sansi about it, and he said to go ahead and give her, give her the initiation. People are taken like this because this is the way it works. It really is an infection. It goes from, usually the masters say, from the eyes, okay? The eyes of the master are what infect us. We understand this is the purpose of life. Before that point, we act as though we had a purpose. But in fact, if we analyze it far enough, the purpose is not really there. When the first glimpse that Judith and I ever had of the master, this was Master Kripal Singh, of course, in September 1963, when he came out of the house where he was staying, we were sitting across the street in our car looking straight out at him. I was overwhelmed with a sense of my own triviality. And I understood that this was what human beings were supposed to be like. And that what I was supposed to do was to become like that. Up to that point, I mean, I had been initiated five years and I had certainly made efforts at some times, other times I hadn't. But uh, I, I had, for, for significant parts of those five years, struggled very hard. 
But when I saw him on that day, it became as clear to me as anything that I was very silly and he was not. And that this was where I was starting from. Now that silliness, that triviality is not of course part of anyone's inmost self but that is what comes from looking at ourselves as soul plus mind okay as the jiva we can say that the jivaness the waterness of the hydrogen and the oxygen is what i was experiencing as trivial or silly at that point because the doerness, okay, the, the jiva, the soul plus mind, is so much less than the word made flesh that it is bound to affect us this way. And when we actually meet someone who is free from that, who does not move in the way that we expect people to move. And by move, I don't just mean walk around physically, but I mean do. When we find someone who actually is free from the constraints and the compulsions and the obsessions and the fears and the desires with which we are plagued constantly, when we see that for our own selves, then things become very clear in a way that they cannot, no matter how much we learn them. The learning really comes later. The grasping of this, the recognition of this. And it is a remembrance too, you know, it really is, because somewhere in the back of our minds when we recognize this, we do understand that we had known this all before a long time ago and that we somewhere along the line we just plain forgot and when we recognize it and then this may, oh yes this is what I used to know I did used to know that then this is also, of course, very overwhelming thing when we experience that. So these are things that the Master comes to, to give us, you know, and um, if we can come close to seeing him as he is. Now here, I have to say, that the master does not usually show himself to us in anything like his real glory. For that we have to go inside. Okay? Inside he does that more. Outside there is always a certain amount of hiddenness. But sometimes he will take that away. Sometimes he will show us what he really is. And when that happens, um, it can be very um, um, 
mind-blowing. The uh, people who come to the Master after a long absence often can see him more clearly than people who have seen him right along, I think. In, uh, certainly in my own life, I, it does seem to me that I have recognized the Master most. And this was true both Kripal Singh and Ajay Singh, that I recognized them most when I've seen them after a long absence. Because there's something about the way our mind works, you know, that, that soul plus mind combination will trivialize anything, not just our own selves, but anything if we give it a chance. Its tendency is to do that, is to reduce whatever happens to a norm, to a routine, to um, something that we can uh, classify and file away and say, oh yeah, I know all about that, and I understand this, and so forth. Whereas what we're dealing with here is something so enormous and so huge. We are dealing with the power of God, of the loving, merciful, forgiving God who created the universe who is the essence of our essence, who loves us more than we can possibly know, we are talking about that God incarnating as human being and walking about among us. And the implications of that, both for ourselves and for our concept of God. You know, this, the Masters tell a story which sort of illustrates all of these points very well, I think. It's a story some of you I know have heard it maybe many times. I love it, truthfully. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. It explains so much about the way the Master works, about his true glory, about his hiddenness, about the way he connects with us and about where we are. Okay? The story is of a moneylender who went to a village, this was in India of course, to a village to foreclose on a farmer who owed him money. And the moneylender did, he went, he foreclosed on the farmer. But when he was through, he had, there's a quite a bit of stuff that he wanted to carry back to the railroad station, which was about an hour's walk away. And uh, although he had got somebody to help him on the way out, once it was apparent what he was there for, nobody wanted to help him because um, everyone liked the farmer and he had ruined the farmer and his family and uh, everyone hated him. So it so happened, the story says, that a master lived in that village. Eh? And this master came up to him and said, I will help you. I will carry your stuff for you on my head if you will either you tell me a story and talk the whole time or you listen to me. I will talk and you can nod, go yes, yes, like that. You pick one or the other. You talk and I listen, or 
I talk and you listen. Now the moneylender had no idea that he was a master, but uh, this appealed to him very much. He said, this is a good bargain. I can uh, listen and that's uh, very restful and uh, he will talk and carry my things. That's that's great. Who, who could find fault with that? So he said, you, you talk and I'll listen, that's fine. So the master put the money lender's stuff on his head, big pile of belongings, actually had been the farmer's belongings, most of them, and they started off. And on the way, the master revealed to him what was what? I mean, he told him exactly where he was at. He said, you don't have one, you have not done one good deed in your whole life. Not one. And you're going to die soon. You are going to be called before the Lord of Judgment and you are, don't have one good deed to your credit. Except, they will tell you, that you spent this time with me. And they will ask you, do you want the reward of that now or later? When they ask you that, you say now. So they reached the railroad station and he put down the stuff, said goodbye and walked away. The money lender was very shaken up. He thought about it and it so happened that a few days later, just as the master had said, he died. He went before the Lord of Judgment, and the Lord of Judgment was looking at the record, and he said, well, according to this, you don't have one good deed in your whole life, except that you once spent an hour in the company of a saint. He said, all right, your reward for that is two minutes in his company. Do you want to have that now or later? So the moneylender remembered what the master had said, and he said, um, now. So the Lord of Judgment said, all right, angel of death here will accompany you to the place where that master is, and uh, you will go with him. So an angel of death, a yamdut, <coughs> was there, he took the man, the money lender. They went through some very horrendous parts of the astral plane where people were suffering a great deal and the money lender was very afraid that this was what was going to happen to him because this is what he had deserved. And they got to a place where the master was holding satsang on the inner planes and there, on the physical plane, he had been someone who lived in a village and who carried other people's luggage on his head. But on the astral plane, it was very clear that he was uh, an emperor of emperors. He was holding satsang for thousands, millions of souls. And uh, at the edge of the sangat, the angel of death said, well, I can't go any farther because uh, I can't go very near him. But you go on in and uh, you have two minutes. When you get in there, you spend your two minutes with him and then you come back out. So the money lender said, all right. And he went in and he got up front. He went right up to where the master was so that the master could see him. And when the master saw him, he said, ha, you have come. And the money lender said, yes, master, I have come. 
but I don't know what's going to happen to me because I don't have any good deeds, just like you told me, to my credit, except the time with you, and that's only two minutes with you, and when that's up, i got to go back to the angel of death, and, and, and it's not going to be very good. And the Master said, who says you have to go? Who says? He said, he can't come in here, pointing to the angel of death. He can't come and get you. Who's going to come and get you? You're here now. Enjoy. Stay with me. I've got you. And that is, I would like to point out, that this is a, an epitome of exactly the way the Master relates to his children. Who, I mean, it is true that um, probably most of us have more than one good deed to our credit. I, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know because, see, these things probably look different depending on how we're looking. If you remember the story in the New Testament, uh, Jesus tells the story of the um, the man who owed his owner okay he was a slave and he owed his owner um, well the figure is given variously depending on which translation you read but in modern uh, terminology it is something like um, 12 million dollars and of uh, course he couldn't it was impossible he couldn't possibly pay it and the um, so he was in he was going to be thrown into debtor's prison but the the uh, the man begged his owner not to do that. He said, "Please don't. I, I have mercy on me. Have mercy on my family, and I will. I'll do something. I'll do what I can." So the owner said, "All right, I forgive you." And he went out. He found a fellow slave who owed him twelve dollars. He backed him up against the wall, grabbed him by the throat, and said, "Pay me, or I'll have you thrown in jail." And when the, the owner found out that he had done that, he was so upset that he canceled his forgiveness and put him in jail. And Jesus said, that's what my heavenly Father will do with you if you don't forgive other people from your heart. Now the point is, of course, in both cases, we don't know, you know. I mean, the way it looks to us is an illusory way. It's an angle of vision that is um, that is deeply colored by the fact that our inmost self is inextricably bound up with a significantly outer self, and that um, therefore the way it sees things is not um, the way things really are. And the point of the story that Jesus told is similar in a way to the story uh, that the masters tell about the money lender in that we don't know the money lender almost certainly did not think of himself that he had no good deeds to his account if you asked him he probably would have said that he was he was a nice guy and uh, you know respectable and uh, the fact that he earned his living by ruining other people would not have occurred to him. A whole host of things might not have occurred to him. On the other hand, the master didn't care about that. 
it didn't bother him that he only had two, uh, no good, that he didn't have any good deeds to his account. He wanted to save him anyway. And that's the point, you see. He wanted to save him anyway. And so he did what he was told to do, which is something that we can forget if we're considering that story, because uh, it is a question of grace, of course, grace pure and simple, you know, abounding, unalloyed grace without a doubt. But still, if the obedience hadn't happened, the man would not have been able to have experienced the grace to its fullest. Because after all, suppose he had thought, well, the thing is that um, if I postpone, if I say I'll, I'll, I'll have that later, that will give me something to look forward to, all those uh, years that I'm going to be suffering. And I can, I can uh, hang on to that and that will be very nice like that. Or suppose he had forgotten what the master had told him. I mean, he had to do a certain number of things and he did them. They were not difficult. They were not difficult in uh, comparison with, with what was at stake, but it was crucial that they be done. And he had to remember what he was told. He had to remember the angle of vision that the master had given him. And uh, truly the master comes, I mean, he sheds, he emits, he casts out, we can say, the infection, okay? The infection is the grace of God, all right? He sheds grace wherever he goes. And whoever he meets, he saves. This is the master's aim. Now, if we act like the guy in Jesus' parable, right, if we totally forget what he tells us and don't forgive our brother or sister from our heart, okay, then it becomes difficult for him to save us and maybe he can't right then. Maybe something has to wait for a while before he can do it. But the thing is, he wants to save us. If we goof up once, he'll find another way. It's often said that this is the path of the million chances, okay? Which, thank God, it is. Because most of us who look into our lives will, will see. But if you really love someone, you give them a million chances. You don't say to your son or daughter or wife or husband, um, all right, you, you blow No more. No, out. We don't if we love them. We say, all right, um, maybe I've also done to you what you have done to me, and like that. And the God of love, okay, the God of mercy, the God of forgiveness, the God who is the soul of our soul, and who understands why we forget, why we make mistakes, he keeps on giving us a chance. This is the point of those parables in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, where the three lost things, okay, the lost sheep, we know there were 99 sheep the shepherd had, one of them was lost, 
with that, God knows where across the mountains. The shepherd left the 99 sheep there, and he went after that lost one. And he searched uphill and down until he found him. And then he carried him back to the pen because he cared. And Jesus is saying, yes, God cares about us. He will not let us wander away. And the woman who lost the coin, she lost the coin, she searched for it all through the house. Finally, she found it. She had other coins, but that one was valuable to her. She cared about that one, too. And then the third is the story of the prodigal son. The son went away, did everything possible to make his father hate him acted in such a way that most of us would say absolutely right. He should definitely treat him like he deserves. But the father didn't treat him like he deserved. He treated him like he loved him. And that is the way that God treats us. He loves us. He treats us from an internal point of view. Outwardly, our karma is there. Our karma has to be undergone. We die in our faith karma when dark. We get sick if it's written in our faith karma, or we can also get sick from doing stupid things also. I mean, both are possible. But the thing is, we don't have as much control as we think we have in many cases. Those things happen to us. They're not the sign of God's displeasure or his lack of love. People die. People are born. People get sick. People get well. People get jobs, people lose jobs. These things are in our time, and we all have to deal with them. But the sign that God loves us is the miracle that he works in our inmost soul through the agency of the living master. And this is when we understand, yes, this is what life is all about. This is what I was born for. And and it is possible. I can do it. I can do it even if I fail, fail, and fail again. I can still do it because God will not give up on me even though I may give up on him. That's the beauty of the path. It's why we the path. You know, a path is something we walk on. We start at one point and move in a given direction, and sooner or later we get to the other point. That's what a path is. And uh, it's very easy to think that, um, you know, that a path is something that we sit in a chair and uh, relax. But that's not what a path is. We have to move. And the master will do, and he'll push us, and he will entice us. Just come with me. Please the master when we please our inmost self. There is no difference. And if, if we stick to the path long enough, we see that very clearly. There is no, the master is not a foreign entity imposed upon us from outside. He is the personification of our own inmost self. And that is something that is 
can only be seen and eventually realized. But that is what he is via. If we can manifest that, it comes to that. So it's a beautiful place to, to say the story of the love of God. The story of the love of God, the fact that God loves us and acts accordingly. <coughs> and Master Prakala said to me one time when I was in India, those people over there, meaning here, they don't know how much love I have for them. If they knew, they'd be dancing in the streets. And he, he repeated, they'd be dancing to great emphasis. We don't know. You know, we don't know how much love God has for us. We can't know, probably. But as we go further and further along the path into the heart of our hearts, we can begin to know more. We get some idea, some idea. And the more idea we have, the more we want to keep going. And the more we see, yes, this is what will bring me real. This is what is really the answer to my questions. You know, the word paravidya, <coughs> everything else known. The answer is the knowledge of the higher self, the true human being within ourselves. The knowledge of the beyond, Paradija. What we really Desire is the thing that binds us to the wheel of birth and death. All masters have said that. The Buddha said it very specifically thousands of years ago. But Sanchi has said it just as specifically the other day. This is the thing that binds us to the wheel is desire. We want something, we die without having achieved it. We must have it. So we are born again to have it. It works like that. If we understand, if we can understand that what we really want is that which takes us out of the wheel, this is the great paradox, and this is what enables us to use our own line of least resistance in order to to make a change. Because the Master knows that we can't stop desiring. So he gives us something to desire that works the opposite of most of our desires. And that is to desire to find our own real self. And the, the finding of that makes the wheel of birth and death inoperable. 
and that is what he has to to give us. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, it is the path of the million chances. It is a path for people who don't have even one good deed to their credit. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to measure up except to receive. If we are able to receive what the Master wants to give us, then we will measure up satisfactorily. What What is for us to do is to take. He gives and we take. And in the taking, we become givers. When we take from him, then we too become able to give. And that is the way that our light shines before human beings. Okay? Our city is set on a hill. Our lamp is then no longer put under a bushel or a basket, which it has been up to now, but that it shines forth on a lampstand so that uh, people can get some benefit from our lives. The more we take from him, the more we are able to give. And uh, there's a ton of paradoxes in connection with, with the master of his path. Maybe this is the biggest. Anyway, I want to conclude by reading Sanchu's message on Master Kripal's birth anniversary a few years back, which sort of sums up what I've been trying to get across. Dated February 6, 1981. Dear brothers and sisters, most beloved children of Almighty God, Paul. I send my love and greetings to all of you on the birth anniversary of our beloved Father. They are not involved in births and deaths as they come for others. Giving their life impulse, they get devotion and unite the souls with God. And Sanchi says, Masters come for others. They don't have any interest in coming here except for liberating the souls. In fact, God himself comes as a human being. God came becoming a man, Bolasha. We should appreciate God's coming into this world by obeying and loving him. Love comes from obedience. Love takes the soul back to your home. So love him more than we love our own self. He is waiting for us. Don't delay. Meditate with all love and faith for him. This is the path of love and total surrender. Those who do his devotion with truth in their hearts become his. With all love and best wishes, yours affectionately, the JFC. Alright. That's what I 